0: Hey everyone, it's Ramon and welcome to the Human Optimization Podcast. Science-based tools to optimize your physiology, master your mind, and unlock your potential. Now, before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Brain First, Earth Grown Evidence-Based Nutrition. One of the products that I love and I take every workday to fire up my brain and get laser-like focus and into flow quickly is Genius Mode. It took me years of research and testing to formulate Genius Mode for Brain First. It has the best science-backed ingredients for peak mental performance in meaningful doses supported by experimental data. I personally take it shortly after I wake up. And the focus and the drive and the motivation and the mental clarity lasts me all day. Now to get Genius Mode, use code RAMON for 10% off in addition to any other subscription discounts that you get on the BrainFirst website. Just head to mybrainfirst.com and you'll see a bunch of reviews from other people who are absolutely loving this product mybrainfirst.com code ramon for 10 percent off and get your brain an instant upgrade let's get into the episode enjoy my friends in this episode ryan dorris joins me on the show ryan is the chief growth officer at flow research collective He holds a Bachelor of Arts with Honours in Philosophy and Economics from Trinity College, Dublin, and is currently working on his Master's in Applied Neuroscience. Ryan has worked with multiple Fortune 100 companies, implementing peak performance strategies in a consulting capacity. He's also led research initiatives with Dr. Dan Siegel, Professor of Psychiatry at UCLA, uh, Imperial College London, University of Southern California, University of Zurich, and Claremont Graduate University. Uh, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So uh, we're going to be talking about flow, uh, what it means for us for uh, higher levels of performance um, and probably happiness too, and how we can, of course, do things like increase the opportunities for flow to emerge. Uh, First of all, how did you get into flow? (laughs) No pun intended.
1: Yeah, sure. So it was actually more indirect, um, not to go too deep into kind of personal stories and things like that. But when I was about 13, I had a really severe head injury. and uh, spent about a year in bed afterwards. And then it took me about six years, so basically my whole teen years to recover from it. Um, and then during that recovery period, um, I was kind of unable, and unable to exercise, to play sports, Um, or to do any kind of physical exertion and my kind of cognitive capacities were also severely limited. And in the middle of that period, I got sort of deeply into personal development, peak performance, spirituality, uh, developed kind of a a pretty uh, robust growth mindset. And then out of that uh, sort of rabbit hole of reading and personal research to kind of try and fix myself and get myself back to baseline, I came across Stephen's work, Stephen Kotler's work, uh, who I work with now, and came across the idea of flow and just, um, you know, read about the fact that it is viewed with good reason as kind of the epicenter of peak performance and that, you know, ultimate human performance um, usually involves um, and is the product of time spent in a flow set, whether, you know, high performers are aware of that or not. Uh, and obviously that's kind of an appealing, um, you know, thing to realize. Uh, and so it was from there that I began kind of reading more deeply, got very deep into positive psychology and Martin Seligman's work and Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi's work, who's the, you know, the godfather or the the sort of um, founder, I suppose, of the term, at least, flow, within the academic context. Um, and, yeah, that kind of that sort of sparked my, my research and intrigue into it all.
0: And is this something that you... Uh, applying more uh, either in an academic sense or a professional sense or you're crossing over into um, like sporting activities like ha- like what's the context for you or is it all of these things
1: so at the time the context was how do I get back to being able to actually live a normal life rather than be you know uh, kind of just struck with extreme chronic fatigue and amnesia and all of these other symptoms I had from the head injury. So it was, how do I get back to just being able to function at a very normal level? Um, but then I had been a sports person before that. I've been a rugby player. My little brother is now actually a professional rugby player for Ireland. So we come from a very sporting uh, background and family. So there was appeal from that respect. And then the kind of you know primary appeal for me in terms of application was actually academic. Um, so wanting to be able to kind of improve my academic performance, given that you know, sort of my, my focus, uh, which had been the predominant one before the injury, uh, which was sport, was no longer an avenue. I was trying to shift my energy and focus and drive toward academics and trying to excel as much as possible and leverage flow for focus, learning, um, and ultimately just improved grades and academic progress.
0: So phase one was, let's say, um, a rehabilitate type of rehabilitation. Then... Phase two, we're talking about um, applying principles of flow to the academic and performing higher. So, um, what what are some of the things like? Run us through like a typical day where drawing on what you know about flow can help improve what you're doing uh, in the academic sense. Like, just give us a, a sense of um, perhaps what would it be like trying to get through a day without drawing on flow versus with?
1: Yeah, sure. It's a good good question. I mean, you know, you absolutely can be productive without being in flow. There's no reason you can't execute on tasks and, you know, quote-unquote get shit done without being in a flow state. Um, It's just that there are a number of performance enhancements that occur when you are doing those tasks that you can do anyway when in flow. Um, So, you know, without kind of going too far off the question, um, a number of different things improve. And I would say even just the first thing to touch on that's relevant to listeners is literally the feeling of the doing of the tasks itself. So when you're in a flow state, you get that sense of kind of total and utter absorption in whatever it is that you're doing. Your kind of inner critic or sense of self, that inner dialogue that is often nagging at you or kind of, you know, running um, on repeat in the back of your mind goes offline. Uh, Action awareness merge. The rest of the world tends to just kind of go offline and dissolve and quieten down. Um, And then time can sort of dilate as well. So in certain cases, usually kind of physically induced flow states, it can slow down. And in more sort of cognitive flow states, like the, the kind of academic context I was working in, time can speed up significantly as well. Um, and that state and those those feelings and that those characteristics of that state are all just immensely pleasurable and enjoyable, you know. Um, and so people obviously, you know, refer to it kind of um, anecdotally as getting into the zone or getting into the groove or getting in state or getting in a rhythm or something like that. Um, And that always has, you know, whenever you hear someone use that language, they always have a positive connotation with that because of the fact, first of all, that, you know, it feels more enjoyable than just kind of grinding through something while fully aware of the clock ticking and the fact that it's only been, you know, 15 minutes when it feels like two hours uh, versus just the pleasure of being able to just get totally lost in whatever it is that you're doing and then pull your head up, you know, after having produced a ton of work and hours. Having gone by, kind of in that you know very effortless state, um, so as far as a distinction between working with inflow and without of it, yeah, the, the first thing is literally just the enjoyment and the kind of pleasure and sense of effortlessness that comes from being in flow. I would say.
0: Mm. So I, I would imagine if you're a if you're the type of person who like I certainly don't have this experience when I write, it's painful. Right. Uh, mostly because it's heavy academic stuff and it's, you know, you spend an hour reading and then you write out a sentence and then you go and look something up and, you, you know, you end up going down the rabbit hole and going far away from the actual point that you thought you were going to make to begin with. So it's a bit of a painful process. Right. But maybe if you're the, you're the type of writer that's writing something that maybe it's an opinion piece and you're just – in that you, you get sucked into it and the words are just coming out onto the page. It's that type of experience, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Or perhaps if, it's, um, if you're not a writer, then uh, perhaps an example would be one of those conversations that you have with a friend where you lose track of time because you're so involved in what's going on. That's another example of, of perhaps flowing in an everyday situation, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a sort of a helpful, you know, distinction or way of thinking about flow as activity or task independent. So, you know, people tend to associate that state of flow with certain activities. You know, one simple example is surfing. You know, people always think of, you know, the surfer in the barrel of the wave being in a deep flow state or potentially, you know, other action sports are very commonly thought of and associated with flow, you know, creative endeavors like, um, you know, playing music, or singing, or um, yeah, playing an instrument and things like that are often very kind of highly associated with flow um, you know, amidst the general public. But the whole sort of paradigm shift and idea behind you know, our organization or what we do, but also this kind of sounds true about flow from a scientific standpoint, is that you know, the surfer who is in that state within the barrel of a wave is in a certain state. From a neurophysiological standpoint, so their kind of their brainwaves are at a certain place, their neurochemistry you know, has a certain profile. Um, they their you know heart rate and you know HRV signature has a certain kind of distinct quality, which is causing this state, which also has kind of a psychological feeling um, associated with it as well. And the the idea essentially is that you can get yourself into that same state. Um, neurophysiologically, through any activity, you know. So there's no reason that you can't be in the same state that the surfer's in, or you know, a variation of that state while you know, riding. Um, even though you know, it's an activity that you would tend to think of as more mundane or boring. So, you know, what we try and do at the Flow Research Collective is give people the tools to be able to get themselves into that state of flow, regardless of what the activity is. Um, and then that just allows you to kind of reap. The, yeah, the performance enhancements and the benefits from that side that come with being in flow, and then also just the enjoyment and the sense of enjoyment and effortlessness that comes from being in flow as well. So I always find that a helpful distinction that it's task independent or activity independent.
0: Mm-hmm. I think many – and for someone who, like I spent a lot of my youth um, rock climbing, um, I do a lot of mountain biking, flow is something I experienced pretty early on in my life and became – somewhat of a flow junkie, he uh, might say. Um, but some people might be thinking, well, uh, you've got all these sort of extreme sports and you've got all these examples that you're providing around like athletics and things of that nature. And that's probably quite different to like a day-to-day thing where I'm wanting to be more productive or um, be more creative uh, like in my work. So what are some of the sort of benefits that people might experience in the day-to-day kind of stuff. So they're not into extreme sort of sports. Uh, maybe they're not necessarily uh, a musician, but they're just doing normal every day-to-day work, like a normal work type environment. Uh, and they're wanting to get some of the high performance benefits there. What do we mean by high, higher levels of performance or engagement? Like what are some of the... Uh, are there objective things that we can look at and say you're going to get an increase in this thing, like creativity as an example? Um, can you share some of those ideas?
1: Yeah, sure. So just to touch on kind of a little bit of the research then and some of the sort of you know performance enhancements that have been identified within the research around flow, um, it covers a span of different um, you know sort of measures of performance from learning to creativity, to you know productivity and output to overall sense of meaning, to motivation, um, et cetera, et cetera. But just to touch on some of the research, so research done by McKinsey, the management consultancy, found that executives, when in flow, report being up to 500% more productive in that state versus you know, not in that state. Uh, research done by the psychologist Teresa Mible at Harvard found that uh, creativity actually spikes for up to three days after a flow state. You get in flow, you actually experience a surge in your creativity for a number of days after the state itself. Research done by Advanced Brain Monitoring and DARPA found that learning or that skill acquisition speed, which is a fancy way of saying learning, increased by 490% uh, within snipers when they reported being in flow. And research done at the University of Sydney, not too far from where you're at, uh, found that creative problem solving or creativity um, or at least that component of creativity increased by 430% when in flow. So you see these kind of, you know, massively um, high uh, increases that you get in productivity, creativity, learning, etc. when in flow. And one of the things I always like to stress is that, uh, you know, those kind of step function improvements are actually not going to make you superhuman or, or make you, you um, you know or you know kind of cause a very significant shift in outcomes in your life if you're only able to get yourself into that state for you know an hour a week or you know one day a month or something like that in order for a 500% improvement to productivity to actually move the needle and have you you know progress significantly in your career or be able to work one day less a week or you know essentially result in real life tangible outcomes you need spending a significant amount of time in that state really read rewards. So in other words it's not as kind of hyperbolic as it sounds and that is the kind of you know the caveat uh, and the sort of butt end of the whole thing is that you need to be able to get into flow consistently to really read rewards in a way that's going to you know meaningfully impact your life.
0: Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's super interesting actually we really need to increase the amount of time that we're in flow. So how do we actually go about doing that? <laughs> like, I'm sure you've got a ton of different ideas. Um, what are some simple ideas, things that perhaps our listeners, if they have experienced flow, but they have no idea how to increase the likelihood for it to occur, what are some simple things that they could start off with?
1: Sure. So the first, I mean, just to kind of, without going into you know excessive detail on different triggers or protocols that we run keeping it at a high level, the first crucial thing I always think, or emphasize is essentially the removal of things that are gonna prevent you from getting into flow. So Stephen always says, and the kind of adage that we always use is the flow follows focus. Focus and flow are distinct. Focus is essentially attention being directed towards a singular thing for an extended period of time, whereas flow, as we've mentioned, is a distinct physiological, um, state. So, you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, our work as focused on, you know, the physiology of productivity, um, because your your state from a physiological standpoint is not necessarily any different to normal waking day when you're just focused. Um, so, yeah, so flow follows focus. Ultimately, that's kind of the golden rule. Um, and in today's world, you know, and the kind of environment that most people are working in your focus is constantly under attack. Um, And so the first thing I think at least is is having almost like a paradigm shift and totally reviewing the way that you look at your attention Um, because your attention is extremely precious precious, and is extremely fragile and is extremely susceptible to being damaged. Um, And so kind of attentional management I think of, as always, like the first most important thing for flow, and what that looks like in a practical sense is eliminating all distraction down to what seems like an anal retentive or excessive degree. So ideally, you know, if you're working on something say, on your computer, you know, obviously at a minimum having your phone off for sure, being in a work environment where you know for a fact that you're not going to get interrupted for, you know, ideally two to three to four hour periods at a time, having only one tab open. Um, And then on top of that, obviously ensuring that you kind of enforce the discipline to not do things like check email or, you know, uh, check your phone or kind of go out and, you know, do something that is like kind of cognitively stimulating, which is going to break and fracture your attention. So um, the first basic requirement is going to be, you know, long uninterrupted periods of um, time where you can fully focus uh, along with you as an individual, kind of exerting the discipline required to make sure that you don't break your own focus by, you know, going kind of off the task at hand or, or doing things outside of what it is that you're actually trying to do and get in the flow while doing.
0: What's uh, what's your recommendation for uh, the type of or the 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 amount of time that one should carve out as far as a block of time goes? Uh, to that you were talking about like long periods of time are important where you're uninterrupted, no distractions. What are we talking about here? Like an hour, two to three hours?
1: I think ideally four hours if possible, I think is a nice period of time. So a nice way to do it if if your schedule permits. and I think most people just in general underestimate the degree to which their schedule does permit this kind of thing. Yeah, always, you can always rework things. you know the reality is that if you if you you know, have a singular block of time focused on your most high priority work, your performance is going to go through the roof and whoever it is that you're working for or reporting to is ultimately at the end of the day going to be happy with the fact that your performance is improving and they're going to, you know, they should at least if they're sane and kind of, you know, allow you to rework your schedule in a way that's going to permit that. Um, So what I would generally recommend in an ideal scenario is keeping, you know, waking up in the morning, doing whatever kind of morning routine you do. Um, and ideally, during that morning routine, absolutely having phone off, having email unchecked, having social media eliminated, uh, and having your pretent- attention be as protected as possible. And ideally, trying to not kind of open any new tabs cognitively during that, that morning period. Uh, and then going into um, a, yeah, ideally a three to four hour block of, of work where you're highest priority tasks or tasks have been kind of identified in advance and mapped out. Um, And then, you know, having the situation be that you can essentially just kind of fully focus on diving into those for a three to four hour period with zero uh, data kind of coming at you from the outside. So ideally, you would keep your phone off um, and keep email unchecked till the end of that block of time. So you've actually made progress against those.
0: Uh, high priority tasks that you're trying to do Mm, so figure out what your highest leverage activity is carve out a block of time focus only on that and eliminate as many if not like all distractions no phone no notifications no email you're not going to be interrupted Uh, and that's really the the one of the fundamentals right you've got to have this in place for the likelihood of flow to emerge in the first place right
1: yeah exactly that's like kind of yeah basic you know criteria to even be able to like create an environment that fosters flow in the first place
0: yeah if you can't do that you're in trouble
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly exactly and it's just i mean you know when you start when you start working like that and kind of developing a binary approach to work where you're either sort of fully on and laser focused and you know in flow or aiming to be in flow and versus working in the state that most people are in day to day, which is, you know, 15 minutes of a task, then check a phone, then do an email, then take a three-minute phone call, then back to 10 minutes of the task, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's uh, infinitely more satisfying and pleasurable to just knock things out in a sequential fashion um, through, again, just long periods of uninterrupted, highly focused time rather than this kind of, you know, state of frenetic task switching where you're not actually making any sort of linear progress and you're just kind of bouncing between things without clearly having actually, you know, gained traction and progress towards whatever it is that you're trying to do.
0: When you were talking before, it reminded me of a guy, Eben Pagan, and one of the things I remember he said was, the only two things that you really should be doing in life is either being laser-focused and working on that that highest leverage activity or relaxing, <laughs> and that's it. One or the other. Yeah. And I love that idea. The the real binary approach. You're either on or you're off. You're not sort of um, half doing one and half doing the other, or trying to combine them or merge them in some sort of way. So I love that the binary approach. Yeah. So we've got our time uh, blocked out. We've removed all our distractions. Uh, we've kind of been able to structure our work so that we can do all of that in a way that's manageable and we can still meet our expectations and everything. Uh, what uh, what do we do next?
1: So once you've kind of really gotten the point of, yeah, just being super disciplined about having that, that time blocked out, uh, I think the next thing that comes is what, you know, we sometimes call your sort of basic flow of hygiene. And this is, again, very, very sort of basic simple things, the kind of simple, straightforward things that most people underestimate because of their simplicity and don't really do. Um, And the things that would fall into that category would be sleep uh, nutrition, exercise, you know, basic habits that, you know, have been shown, for example, within positive psychology to improve performance, like mindfulness, gratitude, a certain level of social contact and social integration. So it's about kind of checking all of those basic boxes and kind of you know, becoming sort of like a corporate athlete in that respect, in terms of really managing your attention, uh, excuse me, really managing your energy uh, through, yeah, ensuring those boxes are fully ticked. Um, and then once those two things are done, of, of your sort of attention being protected and your basic flow hygiene through sleep, nutrition, exercise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all being locked down, you can then start layering on, uh, you know, slightly more advanced, protocols, which may involve doing things like leveraging, you know, some of the flow triggers. There's 21 flow triggers that have been identified in the research um, over the last 50 or so years. Um, And there are a number of different categories of triggers. There's psychological triggers, group triggers, environmental triggers, creative triggers. um, And these are essentially preconditions that need to be in place in order for you to be able to get into flow. And just to give a couple of examples of those, one is the challenge skills balance. And this is a good one that you can constantly be trying to leverage throughout your day and kind of uh, run in the background throughout your day. So the idea which people may be familiar with is that flow exists right in the sweet spot between boredom and anxiety. And so whenever you're doing a task, you want the challenge level of that task just slightly outstrip your current skill level, ideally by about four percent. Um and if the challenge level of a task outstrips your skill level far beyond that, so you're gonna be kind of propelled into a state of anxiety and overwhelm and oftentimes paralysis, which happens to people all the time. But if the challenge level of a given task is too far below your current skill level, you're gonna kind of drop down into a state of boredom and underwhelm um, so you always want to be kind of ideally aiming to have your work and the tasks that you're doing just slightly outstrip your your current skill level so you're kind of always leaning into your edge and pushing just a little past it not too far past to put yourself into anxiety and obviously not too far you know before your edge um to where the task is just you know mundane and boring so just bearing that in mind and and kind of you know even just being cognizant of that framework um whilst working can be helpful and there are a number of different ways to tune the challenge skills balance without actually changing the tasks that you're doing so you know one very simple way to do that is when it comes to very um you know dull boring tasks you can just allot yourself significantly less time and create kind of an artificial sense of urgency around those tasks which is going to up the challenge level and ideally hit the challenge skill sweet spot for you so you can drive yourself in the flow um, or if a task is you know extremely challenging, you can be the inverse of that and just block out you know many kind of multiples uh, more time than you would have anticipated needing and to be able to lower the challenge level uh, and prevent anxiety. To kind of hit the challenge
0: feels sweet Mm-mm. so our first uh, pillar, if you will, is allocating the amount of time and removing all distractions. then of course, building on top of that, we have the basic uh, human care, health, maybe optimization with things like nutrition and sleep and exercise, and maybe people are wondering. Well, how does that actually fit into flow? Um a couple of things that uh, that um, came to mind for me when you were talking about that are actually, if flow follows focus, and now we're talking about attention networks, is actually having the ability to pay attention so that you can focus. And of course, the physiology that feeds into that is how you take care of your body and your health and your levels of stress. Like if you're in a really heightened arousal, uh, sympathetic state, or you've got chronic stress or something going on, it's probably going to be pretty hard for you to have access to the attention networks needed that underpin this flow-following focus. Right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if if you're if you're physically exhausted, you can't. You know, you you can't perform at a basic level. Never mind. Um, being able to kind of tap into, you know, essentially your body's, you know, peak state uh, as far as... Uh, and again, the same comes with, um, you know, things like exercise, you know, if uh, if you have, for example, you know, an extremely, um, I don't know, sore back or something like that, or you've got like tight hip flexors uh, and they're bothering you all day long, that is literally, that is a form of distraction. It's going to be constantly breaking fracturing your attention and uh, and limiting your ability to focus and get in the flow. So it's a matter of just having your physiology be kind of dialed in where you're fully rested, you're, you know, comfortable in your body, you're exercised, you feel, you know, good from that perspective, you're nourished correctly with the right kind of foods. Um, so that, yeah, so that you can just kind of get, like, even just the meta preconditions down to be able to then implement, yeah, the, the slightly more advanced things. But without those basics, you know, you can't even – you, you probably aren't even going to be able to be productive at a very basic level. Never mind getting the flow.
0: So get the fundamentals uh, dialed in, get your physiology uh, optimal, and then you can start adding in these these twenty one flow triggers uh, on top of that, and that's going to then increase the likelihood for uh, flow to emerge.
1: Yeah, that's that's at least how I like to conceptualize it. It's almost stacking the different things, you know. So put the basics down. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of, you know, stack um, on top. It's a little bit like, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, you know, the, the number one thing to start doing is eating less uh, or, or consuming less calories than you're expending. And then, you know, after you've done, you know, that, that basic thing, plus about six other basic things, can you start worrying about, you know, which fat burner is the best to buy?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's a, that's a great example. Um, that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to as well. You got to get the fundamentals down yeah. uh, before you start adding all the little hacks and tricks.
1: Yeah, and it's just it's shocking that like it, it's. I wish there was a name for it as a fallacy because I believe there is some sort of cognitive fallacy that occurs. But just the extent to which people underestimate the um, the impact of the simple, fundamental, straightforward things is insane. You know, people just for whatever reason cannot believe that that simple things can drive you know extreme results but i think you know most peak performers understand that extreme results do live within the simple straightforward things consistently deployed over a long period of time and they don't have to underestimate the impact of, of very straightforward simple things
0: mm, mm, awesome if you had to give three uh, tips or strategies to help someone improve the quality of their life overall, uh, what would they be?
1: The first one, again, it's funny, just on the topic of simple things, but um, the first one would be sleeping, uh, taking almost like an aggressive, again, aimly, retentive uh, approach to sleep. Like people, even people who prioritize sleep massively underestimate the importance of sleep, I think at least. Um, it is... know there there is no you know the the way I like to phrase it sometimes is like the best way you can have you know a massive kind of personal transformation or evolution is by getting 30 minutes more high-quality sleep per night literally it is just insane the degree to which it improves cognitive performance it lowers stress levels and improves you know obviously physical performance as well so until your sleep is pretty much flawless I am hesitant to almost recommend anything else. It's just like the absolute first thing. Um, and anyone who is kind of under sleeping to be able to work more or anything like that is is just, you know, seriously, seriously sabotaging themselves, I believe. So that'll be the first thing is just getting sleep, you know, super, super tightly dialed in. I recommend also I'm not we're not affiliated with them or anything like that. I recommend buying Aura Ring though. They're phenomenal just to be able to quantify and track your sleep so that you actually know if you're getting good sleep or not. Um sleep would be the first one Um, and then I think I mean after that so yeah to go into maybe slightly less basic one uh, just getting a really strong sense of your long-term purpose or mission or set of goals is incredibly compelling um, and incredibly powerful and uh, being able to kind of have everything converge around one singular long-term mission, um, I have found at least extremely compelling, and Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi talks about the state of vital engagement, um, where everything in your life, if you have one singular long-term overarching goal, begins to sort of you know, fall under the purview of that goal, and as a result of that begins to get infused with meaning. So. Going to the bank starts to feel meaningful because it's contributing to your ability to set up the company, which is, you know, ultimately a part of this long-term trajectory that you're focusing on. Uh, exercise all starts, like everything starts to just like wrap into that singular focus and, and get infused with meaning, and everything kind of starts to like sort of, um, you know, feed into itself in a way that, that is, uh, you know, very helpful just in terms of you know the feeling that it can create then also obviously in terms of kind of the ability to actually like pull off whatever that long-term goal is. So that that'll be the second thing, I think. Um, and if someone isn't clear on, you know, what their long-term goal is, I, I'm a big believer in the idea of just sort of setting one, uh, working towards it and then kind of, you know, pivoting and iterating and correcting course on route, rather than remaining static until you have a goal. Um, so that yeah, that'll be the second one. Um, and then the third thing, I think, is to have as Stephen talks something. Stephen talks a lot about is to have some kind of uh, flow activity that you do uh, outside of your sort of professional endeavor or career. Um, so ideally, you've got you know at a minimum exercise, but it should be I think something beyond just going to the gym or exercising. So, for example, Stephen um, is a just seriously avid skier and mountain biker. Um, and so getting some kind of activity, whether it's, you know, an outdoor sport, whether it's kind of, you know, potentially a musical instrument, but essentially some kind of activity uh, within which you can experience flow outside of your sort of professional life. And um, getting that down and getting that kind of, you know, baked into your weekly routine, uh, I think is, yeah, is a, is a game changer as well.
0: Sleep purpose like a north star kind of idea uh and a flow activity that's outside like a recreational activity or something that um where you can enter the flow state or or trigger the flow state that's outside of your normal day-to-day uh job career whatever it is yeah awesome it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show
1: absolutely thanks for having me boss i've said it's been great uh, and keep doing what you're doing as well it's super impressive and uh, i'm excited to see where everything goes
0: oh and also where can people go to find out more about how to trigger flow
1: sure so if you go to flow research um, there's lots of free stuff on our site there's a webinar that you can watch which kind of walks you through a lot more you know very helpful things specifically um, and you can sign up for a newsletter there as well every month we put out a newsletter with uh, tons of kind of advice and free content and things like that as well so people are more than welcome to check that out too
0: great right. flowresearchcollective.com.
1: yeah exactly
0: so that's it for this episode if you want to support the show make sure to subscribe on apple podcasts or spotify drop a five-star review and of course you can connect with me on social with the links in the description thanks for tuning in talk to you soon